Welcome to an audio stream from San Marino Community Church, featuring our own pastoral staff and various guest speakers. Let us pray together. Oh, Holy One, you who speak and your words create, speak to us now. And quiet within us any voice but your own that we may receive your word and be not hearers only but doers as well. For we pray in Christ's name, amen. This week, the nation's attention turned to Washington, D.C., where the Senate Judiciary Committee held hearings before voting on a Supreme Court justice. Robert Dykstra tells a story of an impromptu concert that took place on a Friday morning in January of 2007 in the entrance to one of the busy subway stations in downtown Washington, D.C. Joshua Bell, one of the world's greatest classical violinists, performed six of what he considered to be the most beautiful pieces of music ever written. He was dressed in sneakers and jeans and a t-shirt with a baseball cap, and he was playing a Stradivarius that was valued at three and a half million dollars. Its case was just a few, uh, was close by with a few dollars that were, was seed money, so it was open so that he could collect donations from passers-by. Gene Weingarten, a journalist for the Washington Post, enlisted Joshua Bell to stage a little social experiment. And his subsequent front-page article won a Pulitzer Prize. Just three days before that subway station concert, Bell had filled the Boston Stately Symphony Hall where the cheapest seats went for at least $100. In the subway, in his 45-minute concert, he made $32 and change. Now, if one were to take great art out of its regular context, would anyone notice? That was the question underlying the experiment. Is it possible that beauty can transcend our experience? So Bell started with a piece from Bach that he described as not just one of the greatest pieces of music ever written, but one of the greatest achievements of any man in history. And he played to the passing rush hour crowd, all of it recorded by hidden cameras that were placed around the subway entrance. And in nearly 45 minutes of the performance, 1,070 people passed by and only seven stopped to listen. Bell, Joshua Bell, who makes $1,000 a minute in concert performances all over the world and 1,063 people just hurried past oblivious 
to what was three feet from them. Few even turned to look. There was thunderous silence in response. Bell's second piece was a Schubert's Ave Maria. Schubert was apparently unaccustomed to writing for religious contexts, and when he was asked what led him to a sudden piety in writing this composition, Schubert replied, I think this is due to the fact that I never forced devotion in myself and never composed hymns or prayers of that kind unless it overcomes me unawares. But then, it's usually the right and true devotion. So something revealing happened, according to the newspaper reporter Weingarten. Here's what he wrote. A woman and her preschooler emerged from the escalator. The woman is walking briskly, and therefore so is the child. I had a time crunch, recalls Sharon Parker, an IT director for a federal agency. Evan, her son, is three. And you can see Evan clearly on the video. He's a cute black kid in a parka who keeps twisting around to look at Joshua Bell as he's being propelled toward the door. There was a musician, Parker says, and my son was intrigued. He wanted to pull over and listen, but I was rushed for time. So Parker does what she has to do. She deftly moves her body between Evans and Bell's, cutting off her son's line of sight. And as they exit the arcade, Evan can still be seen craning his neck to look back. And when Parker is told what she walked out on, she laughs. And she said, well, Evan is very smart. (laughs) We so often miss what's truly beautiful and important on our way to somewhere else in search of something else. What if the teachings of Jesus left the context of religious institutions What if instead of waiting for people to come to the truth, the truth came to them right where they live, there on the level place, there in the midst of the turmoil of their lives? You see, Matthew's gospel has the teaching of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. We're all familiar with that. It's like Moses going up on the mountain. You have to get up on high to get and deliver godly pronouncements. But Luke places those teachings down on the plains, down in the valleys, where people are living on the edge and where they can't hide reality. Mountaintops inspire people, but valleys mature people. So here are the ethical and moral teachings of Jesus in a more condensed version than Matthew's point of view. And they point us towards the conclusion that things are not always as they appear. Disillusionment can be considered a negative thing. 
But literally, it means to be free from or deprive of illusion. And an illusion is the state or fact of being intellectually deceived or misled. If I say today I'm a little disillusioned about our judicial system this week, I'm saying something that many of you may be able to agree with, but also something negative, I think, about our judicial system. But if I have illusions about something, isn't it a good thing to be disillusioned? If I'm in a state of being intellectually deceived or misled, isn't it a good thing to come to my senses and see things as they are and thus be disillusioned? As much in our papers this weekend about the loss of trust in our institutions and the trustworthiness of those who represent those institutions have been called into question. The teachings of Jesus are meant to help us come to our senses, even if that means we are to be disillusioned about what makes for life. In these teachings, Jesus is describing reality. He's not giving me advice. Everything in this text is in the indicative mood. This is the way life is, inside the will of God and outside the will of God. And blessed are those who are inside it, and woe to those who are outside it. So this is nothing like the equivalent of, don't worry, be happy. Jesus says there's something that's more dangerous than even tears. The danger is that deceptive feeling that our personal world is secure and stable, the best of all possible worlds. Now, there's trouble ahead. There's trouble ahead if you're satisfied with yourself because yourself will not be satisfied long. And there's trouble ahead if you think life is fun and games because there's suffering to be met and you're going to meet it. There's trouble ahead when you live only for the approval of others, saying what flatters them, doing what indulges them, because popularity contests are not truth contests. I think we've become familiar with lots of sources of advice. There's health care advice, there's diet advice, there's weight loss advice, and it's plentiful. Some of us remember Dear Abby and Ann Landers for many years in the news that gave advice. There's plenty of TED Talks online now and motivational speakers. If you're looking for a job, there's great advice out there on how to write a resume or what to wear to a job interview or how to even answer the predictable questions. And some advice is useful if it comes just at the right moment, at that teachable moment in your life. But a bunch of advice just seems trite. And other advice seems like nonsense. The fact is, there's very little advice that has enough power to touch me at the center of my being and bring about real changes in my life. 
But since giving advice is so much a part of our society and because so much preaching in the church seems to be kind of an advice giving, it's easy to think that Christian faith is simply another collection of advice. Forgive your enemy. Do good and share what you have. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. So it's a little hard to read here about Jesus where the real issue isn't what advice to take, but a statement of reality as it is. The gospel is not advice. The gospel puts you in touch with reality as it is in a way that brings nourishment to your life and gives you a sense of direction. Jesus got out of his pulpit. He stood on the level place with everybody else and he said, lucky you. Lucky you if you feel so empty and you know you haven't got enough to make it. Because God has a chance in your life. Lucky you when you suffer from gnawing hunger and you can't be satisfied. Lucky you when you weep in the face of reality. Because tears are a way of letting go of the old, the old order. And a new world might be offered and embraced. And it takes courage to weep. Tears may be the beginning of health. Now, we certainly witnessed tears this week on the national news. The Senate Judiciary Committee held hearings wherein both Justice Brett Kavanaugh and his accuser, Christine Blasey Ford, were questioned about an incident that happened when they were both in high school. And both at times were in tears. At one point during Dr. Ford's testimony, Senator Patrick Leahy from Vermont asked her a question. What is the strongest memory you have? The strongest memory of that incident? Something you cannot forget. And she replied, indelible in the hippocampus is the laughter. The laugh, the uproarious laughter between the two and they're having fun at my expense. Long ago, Jesus said, Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. But woe to you who are laughing now, for you will mourn and weep. Whoever it was that laughed that day at the expense of Dr. Ford who thought it laughable that a defenseless 15-year-old was powerless against them and she was nothing more than an object to do with as they pleased, I suspect they're not laughing anymore. Things are not always as they appear. You have to take the long view in this life. Your task is to be true, not popular. You have to stand for what is right, not easy. And never take advantage of anyone, least of all those who are most vulnerable.
the broken, the weak, the poor. You know, we sometimes become overly confident in our own perceptions of life. The captain of a ship looked out into the dark night one evening and he saw the faint lights in the distance and immediately he told his signalman to send a message. Alter your course 10 degrees south. Promptly a return message was received. Alter your course 10 degrees north. The captain was angered that his command had been ignored, so he sent a second message. Alter your course 10 degrees south. I'm a captain. Soon a return message was received. Alter your course 10 degrees north. I'm seaman third class Jones. The captain was seething. He sent a third message knowing it would evoke fear. Alter your course 10 degrees south. I'm a battleship. The reply came back. Alter your course 10 degrees north. I'm a lighthouse. (laughs) If we intend to avoid running our ships on the rocks, we have to be open to receiving directions, even though they may disillusion us as to our own self-importance. It's not good to live with an illusion. Jesus seems to be saying, you'll be unpopular if you stand up for what is right. You will experience some hatred and some exclusion and even some defamation, but don't act like a victim. Act in life. Don't react in life. Things are not always as they appear. Take the long view. In life, we're often making our way through the darkness and the fog, and there are all sorts of voices shouting advice into the night, telling us what we should do and how we should adjust our lives. But one voice signals something quite different from all the others, even the opposite, something almost absurd. But that voice happens to be the light of the world, and we ignore it at our peril. So if one were to take the great moral teachings of Jesus out of its regular context, would anyone notice? That was Luke's gospel. Of all the people who listened to Jesus that day in the midst of the turmoil of their lives, I suspect most of them passed by unchanged. Something like those subway passengers passed by Joshua Bell. Beauty, transcendence, some of the greatest insights into reality provided by the creator of life. And for a few moments it entered reality and few noticed or cared. Most went about their business unaware. There was thunderous silence. But some heard. And some believed. And later, though they wept on Good Friday at the cross, they laughed on Easter morning. And this new life emerged from that cross and this teaching. It's not an easier life. In many ways, it promises to be a life of greater difficulty and greater vulnerability, but it leads to trust 
And it leads to trustworthiness with others. And it builds life for all rather than for some or at others' expense. And we ignore this teaching at our own peril as a nation and as individuals. It's as if our Lord is saying, alter your course. Stand up for what's right and true, not what's easy and expedient in the moment. And you'll avoid running your ship on the rocks. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.